Uh, I feel like it all boils down to not taking no for an answer and not giving up. When we started uh, fundraising or when I started going out there and trying to get customers, I was striving to get a no because from every single no, you learn and you know exactly what maybe you're missing or you learn other perspectives and you're iterating and just like improving along the way. Be between decisions or find myself overthinking about an experience or something that I know that it will benefit me or I actually want to do it, but like our brains just try to keep us in a comfort zone. Uh, whether it's work or personal life, I feel like I try to ask myself, okay, when I'm 80 years old and look back at my life, which path would I regret taking the least? I feel like an essential lesson that we can take from Formula One is the importance of pit stops. And I'm trying to apply this in my own world because even the most fastest, most uh, advanced car with the best driver needs to pause, refuel and change tires. So it needs to have that pit stop. And these pit stops are not signs of weakness or inefficiency. They are strategic decisions that ensure that optimal performance throughout the race. And at least when you pick stop, it gives you the opportunity to go faster. Welcome to Venture Vibes, where we hang out with cool people building cool shit. Today, we have Lisa Popovich with us here. Lisa is the co-founder of Sienna AI, the autonomous customer service platform designed for commerce. Combine the best of human empathy and AI to transform your customer experience. Lisa, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, so we're super excited. Maybe in your own words, just give us a one-minute intro about yourself and the company you're building. Yeah, of course. I am uh, I'm Lisa, one of the co-founders and CMO at CNI AI. I am in charge of everything growth-related, sales, marketing, partnerships. I wear a lot of hats, especially uh, in these early stages. And I'm in charge of bringing awareness on what we build, what we're building here at Sienna, which is a, a an empathic AI customer service solution that tries to bridge the gap between technology and human intelligence, and we're trying to create universally available customer experiences that unlock that human potential that's being trapped in repetitive work. Wow, that sounds super super cool, Lisa. Where are you based these days? I'm in London today. Cool. But you've been to a number of different cities, if I remember our first chat correctly. Correct. Yes. Which, which cities have you been living in throughout the years? I've been living in Barcelona quite a lot, London this summer, LA, San Francisco, and Paris. These are, yeah, my top locations so far. Yeah, those are like the, I feel like it's one of those boxes. I don't know. It's like a fashion thing where they'll just put all the cities in like on the bag or something. It's so-and-so brand, London, New York, LA. Which city was best in all the places you've lived in? Like which city is your favorite and why? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, I feel like each city has its own flavor and uniqueness. I would definitely go back and uh, spend more time in each of those cities. But I, if I could have to choose only one, I would probably choose Paris. It's just, it's my favorite city in the world. But if I could choose two, I'd probably choose Paris and New York. Have that perfect combo of energy, super high, fast-paced environment with a very romantic, creative location like Paris. Nice. But which city has the best food, in your opinion? 
that's a top one. But I think I will, I would have to say Paris. <laughs> Are you a big fan of French food or is it like other types of food that you can get in Paris? You can get any kind of food in Paris. I just love, I do love their, their quiche or their croissants. And I feel like no one really does it like they do. But you can also find a lot of healthy food and very fresh food in Paris. Yeah. Seed's going to love Paris, I'm sure. One thing I like about Europe is you don't have to tip. The the going to to a restaurant is a little bit more affordable in that way. And Paris does have... So my wife actually went to Paris for culinary school for French food, but I'm not into French food. When I went to Paris, I just ate Chinese food every day, (laughs) pretty much besides one meal. Because one fancy meal, which I didn't really enjoy. So I pretty much only eat what? Chinese or Asian food, even in Paris. And it's good. It's better than what I get in Boston, for sure. Maybe on par with New York, I would say. that. So I think in this day and age, maybe less so. Now the Fed is starting to cut rates or starting to raise rates and stay high. <laughs> but definitely in the past two years, being a co-founder is something people glorify. Right? Everybody wants to be a co-founder. Everybody wants to start a company or a podcast. So, yeah. but being a founder is attacked, but right. please but, go on. But being a founder is not always fun. I want to know what's the worst thing about being a founder for a company. Yeah, that's a good question. Being a founder is definitely not for everyone. <laughs> I feel like you have to, I don't know, there's something wrong with you and actually wanting to be a founder, but I feel like it's wrapping yourself to the front seat of the most exhilarating roller coaster with a with a very uncertain track ahead. I feel like the highest of heights can be juxtaposed with the lowest of lows. But if you pin pinpoint one of the most challenging aspects, it's that, that responsibility. So I feel like that weight is constant. Uh, even like myself, I find myself a lot of even like this past week, I've been like. I couldn't really sleep very well because I just kept thinking about work and all sorts of, all sorts of thoughts. And even in the weekends, you don't like, okay, you're taking a day off, but still you're like, you have that urge to check Slack to make sure everything is all right. All customers are okay. And yesterday we actually had an impromptu all hands with our team to share something very excited with them. And it was followed by a Q&A for Andre and I. And one of the questions was like, how did you not give up after so many rejections and obstacles? And I I told them that whether you call it muscle building or grit or generative drive, uh, I feel like it all boils down to not taking no for an answer and not giving up. So just, okay, when we even, when we started uh, fundraising or when I started going out there and trying to get customers last year, um, I was striving to get a no because from every single no, you learn and you know exactly what maybe you're missing or you learn your other perspectives and you're iterating and just like improving along the way. But yeah, uh, despite the challenges, it's uh, very exciting to be able to influence, innovate, inspire. That I think Seed and I also work a lot and we feel a lot of stress and it's hard to turn off that work mindset. Yeah. And I imagine it's an order of magnitude more so as you're discussing that burden, right? It never really leaves you. That way it's always on you. So for all the founders and wannabe founders out there, are there ways that you can actually effectively relieve stress, even if temporarily, right? There are folks who do physical exercise. There are people who go to the spa. What's your way to release that pressure? 
Yeah. Yeah. There, there are definitely ways. I am a, a big fan. I am a fitness freak, workout freak. I'm not, I'm, I, I know that this is not for everyone. Everyone has their own unique way of relieving stress or decompressing, but I highly recommend just going for a good workout, whatever it is that you like, or going, going for a sauna session, or even like taking 10 to 20 minutes to meditate, ground yourself uh, and just try to pause for a second. I think even that helps throughout the day. But for me, what works best is just trying to be aware of my mental state every single day. Because when you wake up, you pretty much know how your day is going to look like or how is it going to be. Because you can tell and by developing that self-awareness, you pretty much know how to optimize your day. Maybe instead of just opening your emails, maybe you want to take 10 minutes to meditate or go for a quick run or just do whatever feels good to you or put on some super loud music and start testing and then, okay, I'm ready to tackle the day. So I feel like finding those things that really make you feel good should definitely be prioritized. We want to get to know Lisa before Sienna, right? We want to get to know you, where you came from, how did you grow up? How did you form your identity? Uh, so are there any stories about your early days? Where were you born? Where were you raised? Uh, what was that like? Yeah, there are some stories. So I was uh, born in Romania in Cluj-Napoca, which is a city. I Actually, it's the second largest city in Romania. It's in Transylvania. It, it's also one of the tech hubs of Romania. There's a lot of students, a lot of very good universities. So it's actually my favorite city in Romania. But that's where I grew up. Uh, I moved out of Cluj at uh, four years old. So <laughs> I started moving at a very early age, and I feel like this is still following me. <laughs> Uh, but I moved to a city nearby, which was smaller, like everyone knows each other, a uh, super small town. And I was always, uh, I feel like even since being a kid, I was like a jack of all trades. I was a very good student. I was always, as, as soon as I got home from school, I started doing my homework and like being very disciplined with my, with my schedule. And no one really like, obviously my parents had a big influence because for them always like they try to push us like, Hey, you should always get good grades and you should be like this. But I just, I feel like also a lot of that kept, I, I, I just had that generative drive to be like that. And I was like, much more mature than my colleagues or my friends. And um, I, I also remember that I was, a, when I got my first computer, I was a pretty computer geek, always fixing everything for my friends or family or relatives, creating playlists, CDs, DVDs, or pressing uh, dozens of notebooks with fashion, music, or design magazines, and then putting them throughout my room across all the walls. <laughs> I, I remember my room kept changing every week or so with like new designs. And that actually realized, I think it was like two years ago, where my creative thinking and came from. And it was the, from those early days when I was doing the, the, those things. And I didn't really understood where did it came from, but I think it, it had some connection. And Throughout the years, I studied, so my journey, I, I studied computer um, science and math in high school. And then I applied to med school to go to university because in Romania, you don't have college. You just go straight into university. So you don't have that buffer time to actually figure out what you want to do 
with the rest of your life. You just are forced at 18 years old to take a decision, which for me was like extremely tough. I had no idea what I wanted to do. I was very lost. I was, I was, I had very good grades, but I was super lost. And I remember I was influenced by some of my friends whose parents were doctors. And for me, it was like, oh yeah, I want to help people. I feel I love biology. I love anatomy. Okay. I'll just, okay. I'll just go because I don't really know what else to do. And I remember that I applied six months prior to the exam and I got in because I'm, I learned quite quickly what I had to, but some, some of my colleagues who also applied were studying two years in advance, but I just decided very late. But along the way, I think it was like second or third year, I met Andre, which is my amazing co-founder. Uh, and he introduced me to Shopify. He was from an even younger age, very entrepreneurial. I got hooked and the rest is history. But this is until university. Obviously, I finished my six years. I studied general medicine for six years. But then I didn't follow with my residency because I really wanted to make this pivot in my career. I felt strongly that I just, I belonged <laughs> In the online world and just build, building e-commerce was fascinating. Software was fascinating to me. And I just, I feel like month by month, I found a lot of skills that I didn't know I had. And just, it was very easy for me to connect the dots and just make things work and get shit done. So yeah, that's a yeah. long story short. You, you covered a lot of ground there. So let me uh, back up a little bit. So I'm, I'm curious, when you're growing up, what you mentioned, you're a very good student. You're very driven from a young age, but. What planned the seed, no pun intended, for your entrepreneurial gene? Like, is your parents yeah. into entrepreneurship? How did you even get to know that's a thing? Yeah, I think the first is my curiosity. I was also always very curious. I was always in research mode. Even when I got access to the internet, I was always doing research and finding new things. Uh, and I believe that the entrepreneurship was always embedded in me. I feel like I always had this generatory drive of wanting to do more, have an impact. I, my biggest fear is settling and staying in my comfort zone. But I do believe my parents had also a big influence because they were also pretty entrepreneurial. They were managers in their day-to-day -day for a company, but uh, they were always running side hustles whether in real estate or other industries. And I even remember brainstorming with them business ideas as a child because they always valued my opinion. Uh, I believe starting with general to high school, we, we had these discussions and they always valued and asked for my opinion. So that was pretty cool. And I think that had some sort of an impact. Um, so Hans and I grew up in China. So we probably have pretty similar system, I would say, where we have to decide yeah. from a pretty early age what you want to study in college, right? Yeah. I, I'm curious, there's also a, what we call it, Gaokao, which is the, what's the English uh, word College entrance exam or yeah, college entrance, entrance exam. exam. Exactly. Do you guys have something yeah. similar to that in Romania? We had the exam that you had to take before going to the university. So I had to take that exam after finishing high school to get into med school. But is it the same thing for all the students in your province or state, or it's separate for each yes. school? Yes. Oh, okay. No, so it's the similar. same. It's the same, similar. yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's a very uh, stressful thing for all the Chinese people. I guess Hans and I didn't really formally go through that. We 
almost did, but we uh, deserted. Yeah. Yeah, we, we deserted. Yeah, we yeah. ran from it. <laughs> yeah. Lisa, so it sounds like from an early age, you're it sounds super like type A personality, right? Just like very driven, very on top of stuff. Essentially an overachiever from a young age and still are a high achiever. Would you like say that's the case? Did you ever have a period where you're like, there's just a saying in the US, I, I'm still trying to figure out if that's a, if that's a real thing, but uh, mm -hmm. kids can burn out. It, it's like, you're always at the top of the class. You're always doing your homework. You're, you're an athlete. You do all this stuff. And then at some point you just completely run out of motivation because you're like, what's this all for? No. Not yet. I, I was burnt out in the last year since I started building, building software, but not at the point of taking a huge break or like giving up or I actually, I feel like I have this ability of going through the burnout somehow without stopping. And then when burnout will just fade away somehow, oh, but it's not, I, I know it's not healthy. <laughs> Impressive. Just be so hard. Just go so hard that you push through the burnout. <laughs> It, it, it's take, almost take like some Fridays off. <laughs> yeah, because you know the the advice I get from a lot of people when you start getting a little burnt out is, oh, you got to take time off, you got to take it easy, you got to recover. But there's also the contrary advice to the contrary for other stuff. Like when I just started running, I don't know if you've ever been bad at running. I am, and you start running and things start to hurt, right? Like it hurts to breathe, it hurts to run, and I'm like, I got to stop. And people are like, no, no, you just keep pushing through the pain, and then the pain will go away, and then you're still running. Yeah. It's almost I've like I just that. started running a f like a month or two ago and I know it's like very painful. Uh, I'm very good at other types of workouts, but running was never like my my thing and now like even after a few runs, I was able to do my first 10k which was like, "Oh my god, it feels so good." And it's just true. It's just a repetition game. Yeah. Yes, and I just went to uh, the hike uh, last week. Where we in the hurricane, in the hurricane, <laughs> just <laughs> so that's also another way to push through burnout. Basically, make sure that there's no way to turn back. I'm so tired from work. I'm like super stressed out. Let's go do the hardest workout we've ever done. And I was like, okay, my feet are still covered in blisters. It's great. Yeah. It's uh, um, 70, 70 miles per, per hour uh, on the top. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, pretty windy, pretty crazy. Yeah, I guess. One optional question, Lisa, and no pressure on this one. If Feel free to just skip it because we can just cut it. Is there a funny or interesting story from your childhood? Like a surprising fact or anything like that about your early days? I think it was beginning of high school. My, my parents had some, you know, some relationship issues. You can call them like that. So I had to be at a pretty young age. I know like the therapist in the house and everyone came to me to, to get advice or to just like decompress. And I felt, I feel now, I feel some of those consequences of, I, I always wanted to help. And I had that ability and capacity of thinking very rationally and logically through a situation. I saw things that they were not seeing. And I remember being so frustrated of explaining them and just trying to guide them through what they were going through. But they just didn't, you listen to something and it just pops through the other year. I'm not sure if this is the same yeah. in English. No, it's but a thing. Yeah. So uh, that was very frustrating for me. And like now I feel like I shouldn't have gone through those things as I, I'm not sure. I was like 14 or 13, uh, just like acting like a therapist. And yeah, just that's something interesting that I think also, 
yeah, it had some downsides, but also some upsides. I feel like upsides are like have helped me develop that theory of mind, like understanding people and having that empathy and that ability to like read their faces or read the situation better and understand even if someone is not sharing something. And this really helps with managing the team and like trying to build that culture. So when your parents or others came to you and wanted you to act like their therapist, they, they confide in you and they tell you their troubles and things like that. You mentioned that it was frustrating because you're giving them the rational analysis and they're not listening, right? Because yeah. people aren't rational, especially when they're troubled. And I'm curious if, did you essentially develop more emotional intelligence? Did you eventually figure out that people want to hear certain things, even if there's a factual solution to their problem? Sometimes the answer is not to tell them that, but to just guide them through and have them find their own answer versus yeah. are you still like very hard-headed, like, this is clearly the right thing to do. I'm glad I'm a business leader now because I don't want to deal with the, this bullshit. I'm telling you what to do and just go get it done. I think I've developed that EQ, especially with customers nowadays. When like with an AI product, there's a lot of complex technicalities, like new, uh, even new terms that we're introducing. It's basically a new category that we've built. So there's a lot of new, but what they care at the end of the day is having the least amount of work to even set it up, to implement it, and then working like magic. So by having this in, in mind, we can actually build a product and in a way that will help them do just that, create the best performing agent with the least amount of work. Because at the end of the day, that's what I want. And also when you're going into strategy meetings with them, how can you like not make it rational or logical or technical and trying to like focus on maybe, oh, this is the outcome. It just, it just requires a little bit of work, but it's the outcome. This is what, what is in it for you or your team or your customers. Yeah. This just an example of how this is important to, to take into consideration when working with customers who just want things very fast and very smooth and easy. All right. We'll dive into more on the entrepreneurship side, but I, I'm, I'm on to dig a little bit more that you brush it over where you pivoted from being a mess students to start your own company or Shopify store in the beginning. But that's a very hard decision to make, right? You spend, what, six years of your life <laughs> trying to be a yeah. doctor and you just decided to start your store and ditch this, especially after you almost finish everything, you just need to do a residence, right? How did you convince yourself and maybe, I don't know, your parents <laughs> and your friends around you? Like, how's that process, how's that decision making look like? That sounds pretty tough. Yeah, a lot of nights trying to, a lot of nights of reflection and trying to figure out like, you know, is this the right path for me? Do I actually want to spend my life in the hospital or in a practice and just like doing this? Not really. I even was taking my laptop with me at the hospital. Whenever I had breaks, I was just working on my Shopify store Um and also during exams, <laughs> during exam breaks, I was taking my laptop. So there was like pretty obvious signs that I just loved doing that versus being, being a doctor. Um, I think the question that I asked myself is like, what do I actually want my life to look like? I don't want to do something that I'm not super excited to get out of bed every single morning. And I didn't want to just 
continue with med school just for the sake of it, because I feel like we have enough mediocre doctors. So I didn't want to become one that it's just not a passionate. I'm just not 110% passionate about what I'm doing and really making a change and saving lives and all of that stuff. So that for me, I was like, I don't want to like just be average. I want to be the best in what I'm doing. And yeah, obviously it was pretty difficult to share this with my family because even though they were super supportive, always very open-minded in Romania, especially in the little town, uh, tech and e-commerce was not that a big deal. Like it was just a pretty unknown thing unless you were to be part of some networks or whatever. So for them, it was like, what is, what does this mean? What are you actually going to do? Is this even a career? Right. <laughs> so were I just worried? had to stick to my gut and they were in there trying to convince me. And they even brought some cousins who are successful doctors to try to convince me. Listen, of, get a real uh, job, hey, like, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I think six months after the decision, they pretty much some result that we were getting and they, they figured out, okay, this girl actually knows what she's doing. Let's just leave her alone. <laughs> That's super interesting. The, the thing you said earlier, I think really resonates, which is the reason you want to do something you're passionate about is you don't want to just be average. You want to be the best of the best in what you do. And the yeah. only way that's going to happen is if you're actually excited about it. Yeah. It's touche. So Lisa, I'm curious about your early career trajectory because I'm looking at your LinkedIn. And it looks like since medical school, you've gone on to found several things. Sienna is not the first thing you've been a part of the founding journey. So I'm curious how that series of entrepreneurship went down. Why did you decide to stick with entrepreneurship, especially through a series of, I don't want to say failures, but you try a few things and they haven't quite taken off perhaps the way you want it, but you kept at it. I'm just curious to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, during med school, I actually started you know, building my first Shopify brand. I was working as a side hustle on that, working with Andre. He was also running his. So we were pretty much co-managing our stores together. And then we, we always had a lot of frustrations and, uh, on like, how can we make our customer experience better? How can we even generate more revenue from the level of service and experience we provide? Uh, we were very bullish on the customer experience as a whole since early days. And we saw a gap in the quality of customer service. We saw a gap in adding that human element to, to how businesses communicate with their customers. That's how the idea, that's where the idea for Carlo, which is a conversationalized mass marketing tool for Shopify came to live. We saw SMS emerging and then we saw that as a big opportunity. However, we saw that a lot of the tools out there were fully focused on one-off automation. So there was like little to no human touch. So right. we decided to bridge that gap by, we actually, it was quite the opposite of Sienna because everything was fully human powered. You had, you were, we were able to have a, a real time conversation via text with a real human, uh, answering your questions, trying to prevent you from abandoning your card and not going through the finish line with your order or just trying to provide that concierge experience. And then fast forward to last year, we saw an even bigger gap in the customer service space, uh, a bigger opportunity. And we always thought that when you look at scaling as a business, 
it couldn't be done solely with just humans, right? And we saw, I don't know, like we, I think we had some sort of, we saw it coming. We saw this wave of innovation. We thought, okay, in the next five to 10 years, how will customer service look like? Because it's definitely not going to be 100% just humans like doing all of those repetitive work every single day. And at Carloop, we saw uh, 70% of our customers' inquiries were pretty much the same. Where is my order? Those transactional, how, how can I cancel my subscription? Can I pause or how can I return? So obviously those were like super low-hanging fruit that with a better strategy and a better product behind, you can deliver the same or even not, uh, if not better experience, and then being able to leave room for your agents, for your team to focus on much more complex areas of the business or focus on VIP customers or taking care of other pressing parts of the business. Um, so that's how we saw, we, we got into customer service, transitioned from just SMS, uh, the market towards customer service last year. Uh, I think we started writing the first line of code in August last year, and can believe it's been already a year. We moved super quickly, obviously, as thanks to thanks to ChatGPT and all of these advancements in AI. Were really, I feel like we were at the best place with the right product at the best time, and with the right vision. We were super lucky to work with our first customer, Everyday Dose. I think they joined end of December last year. They were the first customers that joined us. We were able to get so much feedback from our early customers and just iterate based on that and just improve what was not for yet working as it should work. And that's how we were able to gain so much traction in such a short amount of time. We got out of stealth mode in March this year, and I think it's been six months. We're already working with I believe over 60 customers and we're seeing incredible results. Yeah, that's awesome. I remember the intro, I, I think basically the intro was like, Lisa's running this company, they've seen incredible traction. And I was like, that's rare. We talked to a lot of founders and they've been out there for much longer than six months. And it's very hard to see that kind of organic traction. So it's definitely well done. I think one thing I'm, I find interesting is that Andre and you seem to have co-founded a series of startups together. So it's like a... It's a lasting partnership going through a series of different ideas. So what's that like to have one founder you just seemingly work really well with and go through different ideas? To translate, how much do you hate him? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a good question. I think it's ideal having a founder like Andre. I consider myself very lucky. And I even told him a few, a few weeks ago that I feel like it's not, it was not a coincidence meeting each other in Romania in that little town where, you know, pretty much everyone, you don't see these, you, you don't hear, oh, like that's an entrepreneur, such an interesting story or, oh, wow, such a, he's built such an interesting thing or product or whatever. You don't really hear this stuff. You just hear people which are impressive, but they do like just regular traditional jobs. So I feel like it was not a coincidence meeting, meeting him like nine years ago and we complement each other very well. I think that's why we lasted for so long. He's more analytical. He is a very strategic, very organized. He likes to plan things. He likes to, everything needs to be in a way thought. He always applies second, third, fourth 
10th order thinking, well, when, uh, when I'm on the other side, I'm very creative. I'm more, much more impulsive. I, I just like, I feel like I lead with my gut and my intuition a lot of the times, but he like balances me out and I balance him out. So yeah, I think this is what worked for us. And just, we have pretty much the same mindset and ambition. And that's like very important. You cannot work with someone if they don't share the same values. So we, we, we know where we want to take Sienna. We know what kind of impact we want to, to have for our customers. We want, we know exactly, we, we knew even when we were still living in Romania that we wanted to get out of Romania. We knew a lot of things that we just like, it just happened to a lot of our values and goals just happened to overlap. So I think that's what worked. Cool. And so between the, like across the different startups, Cartloop and Sienna are somewhat related. It feels like a pivot, right? It feels yeah. like a similar need. And then you're like, what humans is not scalable. Like we got to, here's a new technology coming along. We can solve this problem better. But the vision seems related, right? To give people that conversational experience. Yeah. What about Revlon before that? Was there a similar pivot there or was that more different? Relevant. Relevant was was actually our first, or let's call it second, but the first one doesn't count. So let's first or second, whatever. Our it was actually a marketing email marketing automation tool for Shopify, and we had these dynamic newsletters that we were were selling to merchants. It was pretty interesting. We were total newbies. Oh my gosh. I wish I could have some sort of like a journal or like videos from those early days because. Oh my God, there was so many mistakes. It was just like us trying to get into building and learning and just figuring things out. So it was the start of that founder university that you never get unless you start just doing things and put yourself out there. And Carloop, I feel like it was in a way the our last years of university where we really like learned so many things. We did so many mistakes that I could write a book about. And then CNA was like, okay. We actually know exactly what we need to do, what we don't need to do. And that's, I feel like it's just the way it was supposed to be. Cool. All right. So back to Sienna. I got to ask, where does the name come from? <laughs> this is a funny story that I've been sharing with. Even some prospects are asking me this question. When we were last year, I think it was August or July, we before before building, we were always like, oh my gosh, what name should we give this company? Because we, we, we are like perfectionists. What we decided, okay, let's, let's just put a timer for 15 minutes. And everyone like Andre and I writes their own list with names, random, whatever, feel free to get inspired. So we put the timer and then we shared, shared the, the names with each other. And one of the names that I put was Sienna. Because what I've been researching is I want to give this company, the way I envision it is I want to give it like a real name of a real person, but I feel like it should be like feminine just because I don't know, women are just more empathic by default. And I just love the name CNI felt like it was very empathic, futuristic, but also like cool at the same time. So he so also had some good names to be, but never there. could be. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I think we had two names that were the so let's call them the winners. And then we started asking for feedback and then Sienna was the final winner. I got to know. So I got to know what the other that. option, what the, the other idea was. It was so different. It was common mind. Common mind. Yeah, I think Sienna is the right choice there. Common mind is yeah. good, <laughs> but I don't know. Sienna AI, I don't know. 
seems simple. Is that a Italian yeah. or a Spanish name? I think it's Italian. I learned after that there's an actual city in Italy called right. Siena. Right. right. Yeah. Interesting. I'm also curious. So obviously, according to the website, uh, you're trying to build a chat platform, right? But I guess at a product level, how is it different from other chatbots? What's the edge for Siena mm-hmm. AI compared to other offerings? Yep. So the way I like to describe Sienna is imagine having a star human agent, uh, an agent that intuitively understands, resonates with every customer uh, and delivers very a very consistent, high quality service level. Now picture this agent is available across all channels. So not only email or chat, but also social media comments, DMs, ad comments, text, WhatsApp, whatever you want to enable as a communication channel. And it's catering to your global audience because it works out of the box in over 100 languages without you having to literally like just do zero training or press a button or whatever. So it just works out of the box. So that's Sienna. It's an embedded agent into your operation. It connects to your ticketing system and it takes a lead agent sit working exactly another agent alongside your team. Every single time there's a new ticket, Sienna, based on the data that it has, it will classify the ticket and assign itself uh, the ticket if, you know, it uh, it checks uh, a few criteria and then responds in a very natural, human-like, personalized way. And what's unique about Sienna is that we are, we are not just tackling superficial questions. So we are the opposite of a chatbot. We're not going to offer you options or knowledge-based articles that are irrelevant to actually what you're looking for. Uh, but actually, we'll, uh, we are, we've built this autonomous agent that addresses that complex 80% of, of the queries that most other platforms overlook. Uh, and it's built to empathize and connect like a human. And when you look at the other AI platforms, or so-called AI platforms or chatbots, they usually are built for deflecting tickets, right? They are built for making those customers leave because they are like a some sort of a satellite that it, they are external satellite who are put there to just avoid customers getting through, being away, right? Because there's too many tickets. Right. Um, Sienna, on the other hand, is is like an agent trying to op- optimize for resolution, right? As soon as there's a question, Sienna will respond. And you can have a natural back and forth conversation with, with Sienna. It can take action, not only provide responses to product questions or FAQs, but it can also manage subscriptions or manage orders or take care of returns and all of that. And I feel like one of the best examples to give you, think about a Think about Tesla's autopilot. We've, what we've had so far, when you look at uh, cars, we had that at autopilot, right? But it was like just a button and you always had to be there. It was not like uh, full self driving like Tesla has right now, it, but it still, it was called autopilot. But with Tesla, it's fun, exciting, and it's truly innovative. I, it's, and you, and just because a golf cart has a steering wheel doesn't mean it's actually a car. So it's pretty much similar. While chatbots might seem like they're doing the same thing as Sienna, there's a profound difference in the depth of their capabilities. Yeah. So I think these are some of the, yeah. One difference. Full up there. Empathy is pretty hard to train. I don't even have empathy for other people as a human being. How do you talk to a therapist? (laughs) 
Oh, so wait, Lisa you... is the therapist. That's right. <laughs> how, no. How do you import that into AI? Like technical wise, is it through have a unique set of data? Is it through generate your own set of data? Like how do you replicate empathy in your chatbot that distinguishes from other platforms? Yeah, yeah. At the fundamental level, uh, what CNI is doing is transitioning us from a rule-based world to a reasoning-based one. So if the older customer service platforms were about self-serve, Siena actually offers truly AI-powered interactions that are very personalized. And it's not just responding to the ticket, it's about understanding, reasoning, and then finding the best course of action. So Siena has that embedded, like it's, we call them reasoning-based automation versus rule-based automation that um, are dependent on keywords, right? Because if you ask something to a chatbot that's not a keyword, that's out of the scope of how that chatbot was built, it will not be able to understand. But Siena has that contextual understanding. It has memory, that intelligence like a human does. On top of that, we've built Siena to be empathic by default. Obviously, it's because the platform is powered from the ground up on top of large language models. This allows us to do. But what's even cooler is that inside of the platform, every single brand has the ability to create their own persona or multiple personas. And you can give it your own brand attributes, your own instructions, your own context of the company. So Siena will get fully embedded and you will know exactly, okay, this is the company that I represent. These are the customers that I'm serving, that I'm speaking with. Therefore, I will do a way better job. And we've even have, have, have customers who have good real life celebrities or personalities because you can do that. So you can literally design Siena to be whoever you want it to be, whether it's a barista who likes to share latte recipes or whether it's a... I don't know, a designer who likes to share, I don't know, advice on how you should design your living room. I feel like these, like the fact that it, it, it's based on reasoning and you have this personalization layer on top makes, uh, makes the entire difference. Yeah. So, we, sorry. I'm just curious about the tech side. We can cut this out. I'm, I'm just curious. So technical wise, are you guys like basically fine tuning against, so there's a customization like personality. But do you guys also fine tune against the data you got from Shopify, maybe Klaviyo, other things? Or are you actually training models against those things? Personalization? Yeah. We don't, we, we do not train Sienna based on historic tickets or other sources of data okay. for the persona uh, feature. So you design it, you literally can tell Sienna, do this, do that, don't do this, never use these words, always use these emojis. You can literally give very clear prompts, but it's not looking, for example, oh, at the historic tickets to see how the agents, what kind of language they use. So it replicates that. No, you just build it once you onboard, you can build it, always go back, edit, add stuff, uh, remove stuff. It's, I don't know, being able to, to craft your perfect agent, uh, Got the it. way you'd like that per person Makes to sense. be. Yeah. We always ask our guests this question. And obviously you're a very high achieving person, very motivated, very driven from a younger age. I'm curious, what is success to you? What drives you daily? If you imagine five years out, describe yourself an ideal state to being, to whatever you define as successful. What does that look like? Yeah. Yeah. Five years out, I feel like for me, it will be achieving our mission 
of creating exceptional customer experiences and unlocking human potential. I believe that if in five years, uh, businesses will not be leveraging Sienna or at least AI into their operations, it means that we are, we have done something wrong or either failed or something must have gone wrong along the way. Uh, but overall, for me, success, it's about growth, uh, relationships. I'm a social person. I love building relationships and contributing to something that's larger than myself. And I feel like it's, to be completely honest, this question a lot of times frightens me because, oh, how do you see yourself? Like, how do you think your life will going to be? Or like, what are you actually, what's your goal? Or could find yourself day-to-day trapped and just work. So it's very challenging to take some time or step back to actually see the bigger picture or to take different perspectives. But ultimately, it's, I feel like success is just living with purpose, passion, and just have peace. <laughs> I don't know. It's just finding that harmony, I believe. You basically answer my follow-up question with the last part there, but I'll make it explicit anyway. And this is the scarier version of this question, right? Instead of five years out, let's say 50, 80 years out, right? What is success in a personal, at a personal level? Obviously, there's going to be Sienna. There's going to be probably future endeavors. What really matters in the end? Do you have any thesis on that? Or do you think, I think, the answer just now may apply to this, which is success is just living with purpose. And as long as in that moment you find peace and purpose, something you can focus on, doesn't matter if it's five or 50 years. Yeah. Yeah. I think, so I've been reading last year, Jeff Bezos shareholder letters and some of the books about Amazon and Jeff Bezos. And I love the regret minimization framework. So every single time I might like be between decisions or find myself overthinking about an experience or something that I know that it will benefit me or I actually want to do it, but like our brains just try to keep us in a comfort zone, Uh, whether it's work or personal life, I feel like I try to ask myself, okay, when I'm 80 years old and look back at my life, which path would I regret taking the least? So I feel like by applying this, when you're actually 80 years old, you'll have less regrets. That's what I'm trying to do. Obviously, that's not work all, uh, all the time, but. Yeah. Cool. That's a better answer than, than most, I would say. Makes sense. Yeah. I feel like there, in some way, I sometimes wonder if the, the question actually has meaning in that. Like, people who spend a lot of times in their lives considering, thinking about what the meaning of life is, chasing that stuff. Do they really ever find an answer? And once you find an answer, does it really never change? Or is it really at any given point, if you have something that's all that matters. And then it, it changes again. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I started reading I'm not uh, sure, yeah. the Elon Musk biography. Me too. Yeah. I love it. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, one, one main takeaway is Elon always started from the mission itself and worked backwards. Anything yeah. else doesn't matter. Exactly. It's not the most happy person on earth. I don't know if you want, and maybe happiness is not equal to success to start with, but even the richest man or used to be, the richest man in the world is not really a happy person and should be happy. I don't think you should strive to be happy. Like, how long can you actually be happy for? Five days, a week, or I don't know, a month? I think a month is pretty a long time to be happy. There's always something that's going to bug you or it's just not going to be 
ideal orders. So cool. Lisa, last section, which is what we call deep questions. It's the most freeform section. So Lisa, we talked about mental health a little bit early on. We talked about burnout. And you mentioned that you've always been passionate chasing different things in life. And now that is entrepreneurship. So for all the founders and people who are working a lot, workaholics, creators, mm -hmm. artists, what are some of the tips you have as the unofficial therapist, apparently, for everyone around you for mental health? When you're working so hard and so tunnel vision on something, what's some ways to take care of yourself? Yeah. So I feel like mental uh, well-being is foundational. Just as we optimize algorithms or marketing campaigns or streamline prompts, we should be uh, prioritizing uh, our minds. I am definitely guilty of prolonged stress, burnout, just that relentless pursuit of perfection, both professionally and personally. And I pretty rarely take breaks or stop. It's just like how I'm built. And I, I started to accept that I actually am embracing it. Uh, but I feel like building a company or uh, working in a very fast environment, uh, it's much like Formula One racing. There's the constant drive to be faster, more efficient, more productive ahead of the competition, especially with AI. But I feel like an essential lesson that we can take from Formula One is the importance of pit stops. And I'm trying to apply this in my own world because even the most fastest, most uh, advanced car with the best driver needs to pause, refuel and change tires. So it needs to have that pit stop. And these pit stops are not signs of weakness or inefficiency. They are strategic decisions that ensure that optimal performance throughout the race. And at least when you pit stop, it gives you the opportunity to go faster and maybe actually get ahead. And it's pretty similar in our space, taking breaks or seeking support, having a social night out, refueling really helps with our minds and emotional reserves. And it can be like a day off or a short vacation or a long one if you prefer, or a good workout or just a 10 minute meditation break. And we really like these moments will allow us to change our tires and ensure that we don't burn out. We can actually continue to do this for the long term because people like us are actually here to work and not retire at some at some young age. I, I never want to retire, for example. Yeah. I learned something new today. All these years, I never connected the saying pit stop to Formula One racing. And now that I think about it, it seems awfully obvious, but good point. So wait, when it comes wait, to making um, the... This is actually... Well, that's it. I love this analogy. I learned it from Andre uh, and he was always trying to tell me like, take a day off. No, like you're taking a day off. It's just like Formula One. You need that big stop. <laughs> and actually, I really love it. Yeah. I guess my struggle is even if you take a day off, you're not truly off, right? You're still thinking about shit. Unless I'm maybe doing a very long hike, I'm I'm forced to think about how do I survive in the wind? Or you, you gonna, especially if you're a founder, I imagine you're always thinking about shit, right? How do you turn that off? Or, or is the plan to not turn it off, right? How do you actually, I feel like taking the day off is the easy thing, right? Uh, if, you, yeah. if you take the, the peace stop analogy, you're not really, the hard thing is you're not just the driver. You're also the staff in the peace stop, 
right? If you're just the driver, you just drive into it and your staff will change the tire for you. You're still sitting there, right? Take a rest for a few seconds, hopefully. But in this case, you are also the staff have to repair your own car while you're thinking yeah. about driving. So how do you do that? To be completely honest, I think for, especially for founders, you can never actually turn it off, but you can learn how to live with it or like how to optimize it. And what works sometimes is just like, if you have a lot of things on your mind and you want some space to actually think, to breathe, just write them down. Cause you know, in that way, you will not forget about them. And in a way, like you just put them aside. It's not that you're not going to deal with them, but they are here and I will take them one by one. Or if you feel like, okay, your mind is going crazy, go and tackle first the things that are the most challenging. And then you'll feel so good that you can actually take a breather. Or if you feel like a day, just one day is not enough. Cause obviously one day is a lot of times not enough. Just take more space because then you'll come out stronger. Yeah, a lot of a lot of good advice here that I, I know it's challenging to follow, but yeah, these are some good strategies. Do you ever take pit stops at the same time as your co-founder or do you tend to stagger so someone's always keeping the lights on? We might take, but not long ones. <laughs> Maybe like a day or something. We haven't actually taken a vacation since last year before starting Sienna. How many but, vacations days do you get as a founder? I'm kidding. You get none. I was like, <laughs> yeah, no, it's a bad joke. I guess yeah. I'm also curious. Sometimes I, I struggle with, I guess I, I'm, I'm a little bit quick to label people as lazy. If mm -hmm. they don't work hard as me or don't push themselves to burn out, take too many pizza stops as so example. So what percentage of people are lazy according to you, Seed? I want to know. <laughs> I think most of them, but like, how do you, but obviously to lead a team, you have to understand people function in different intensities and yeah. not everybody has to be so intense to generate a good outcome. So how, how do you balance that? How do you be mature enough to not judge people or maybe you should judge people? How do you? I think it's always, you're learning constantly because with new members that you're bringing to your company, there are new cultures, it, it's get, it, it gets shaped as you go and you learn so much more, you learn different personality types, even like we are a fully distributed team and we got to learn how things and how mindset are in different parts of the world, which is very interesting, right? Someone from the US might execute or like might perform or think completely different from someone from Eastern Europe, right? So this is something that it's a continuous learning process, but I feel like the most important thing is just like first, when you're, for example, when you're hiring, you have to be very transparent with that person. Okay. About what's the pace that your company is going at, what the expectations are, what is the culture like, and just be transparent. Hey, this is going to be a challenging dynamic environment. Are you actually up for it? Because why should you be up for it if it's just not your cup of tea? If you just want a very relaxing job, maybe you have a family, there are other much more important priorities in your life. So you have to have that transparency. But at the same time, once they join, you have to have that theory of mind, empathy of knowing when to push and knowing when to be a little bit like, give them a little bit of breathing room because you cannot always press the pedal, the acceleration pedal every time because you might lead people to, to burnout. So 
this is something that it's a constant learning process. I think a related question I have is, I think all of us have an emotional support network, essentially, right? We have friends, we have family, we have significant others, we have different people to support us. And I think a lot of the times we make a lot of friends through coworkers and we meet a lot of people at work. As a founder, in your experience, what does your support network look like? Who are the people you can confide in and, and complain about how difficult things are? Because I feel like you have such an image to maintain for your employees, for your customers, for your investors. Who do you really get to be honest to and who's there for you? My therapist. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, this is definitely very important to have that support network. It can be pretty lonely sometimes, especially if you are not proactive about being social and putting yourself out there and actually making time for those things. I feel like I have a very good relationship with my family, but of course I'm not going to share every single thing or that's not going well. Even if I do, they, they empathize and they like cheer me from the side, but they will never like fully understand. I feel like having a co-founder is definitely one of the biggest advantages. And then yeah, taking some time for nourishing those relationships because even when you, I see this was one of the questions from the document as about what does home or belonging mean to you? And I feel like even if you're traveling a lot of times, this is one of the biggest challenges. You cannot really build those lasting relationships. Or if you can, it's a little bit more tricky. If you are able to build some relationships, try to like not abandon them and like really nurture them and keep them alive. Because at the end of the day, you want to be where your support network or community or the best people in your life are. No matter, it doesn't really matter which location you end up. Obviously, there are perks and like good food and like good workout spots. But at the end of the day, you want to be next to the people who like just are on the same mindset as you are. It sounds like a lot of work. Can we just be with some AIs for that? Maybe we yeah. build an empathetic AI that supports founders. That's the idea. Yeah. Yeah, we should definitely. All right, Lisa. I think we all need to think about how to make our pit stops so we can go faster and go farther. Thank you so much for stopping by today. And it was a great conversation. Best of luck with Sienna and with any future endeavors. We'll keep in touch. Thank you. Yeah. Really enjoy the conversation. Thanks so much.